0: Welcome, church. I'd like to first thank Pastor Reggie for this opportunity to bring God's message today. If I hadn't before totally understood the responsibility and accountability for speaking God's word, I can tell you this morning, I certainly feel that heightened understanding this morning. This past week, we all faced a D-Day in our lives the deadline for filing our income taxes. (laughs) Few people really understand U.S. eternal revenue service income tax regulations, and for a good reason. According to Forbes magazine back in 2013, tax codes surpassed the 4 million word mark. In fact, tax codes have become so complex that even the experts have a hard time processing all the regulations. It is burdensome in its complexity. The leaders in ancient Israel did the same thing to their religious system. They made excessive laws to govern man's relationship with God. The growing burden of religious regulations had increased to the point where even the experts in the law struggled to understand it at its core. When one such legal expert asked Jesus, what mattered the most? Jesus affirmed that, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself, from Luke chapter 10. From the lawyer's perspective, and his question about who his neighbor comes the parable of the Good Samaritan. Of all the many parables that Jesus told, the parable of the Good Samaritan is one of the best known and most loved. This is partly because it is very much a human interest story and is painted in very vivid colors. It is a story that will live on forever. We have all heard the story of the Good Samaritan. It's probably one of those parables that we know from memory and recall easily. But let's look at it a bit more closely this morning. Our scripture reading for today comes from the book of Luke, the 10th chapter, verses 25 through 37. And I'll be reading from the NIV translation. If you're able, please stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning. Starting in chapter 25, on one occasion an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And what is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place, he saw him and passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and banished his wounds, pouring oil and wine. He then put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? The expert in the law replied, The one who had mercy on him, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that your word shows us everything we need to know. Father, I ask this morning that by your spirit that you would come and share with us this word that you have for us this morning, individually and corporately. God, that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts and our spirits to hear what you would have to say with, to us today and that you would empower us with these words this morning. Lord, take me out of the way, and Lord, you speak as you give utterance, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. So as I was looking for a title for my message this, this morning, came to me that I would call it a man in the ditch. Today, as we look at this parable, we are going to look at it as if we are individually and corporately the good Samaritan, and even kick it up a notch as a good Christian. Close your eyes for a moment, and imagine with me you are taking a walk along a country road and you come upon a very violent scene of a person lying in a ditch alongside that road. This person is unconscious and has been obviously injured, and you can see that there was not much, if any, life in this person. We can see by the markings around this person that others had obviously been there. What do we do? Better yet, we are in a church setting or sitting in a park, and we see a young child, a teenager, a young adult, even a friend, and it's obvious, or even not so obvious, that they're in some sort of distress, physically, emotionally, or spiritually. What do we do? You can open your eyes. So we are now faced with a decision. Are we? Or are we not going to love our neighbor as ourselves? Do we engage with the person lying alongside the road? And what does that engagement look like? Do we engage with the distraught person in the church or the park? What does that engagement look like? Do we really need to ask ourselves what are we going to do? The parable confronts us with the, with the demand to make a decision concerning the commandment just given by Jesus. Questions like, do I help this person? What do I need to know in order to help? How much do I help him? What is my responsibility to the scene I've come across? We are forced to stop and think and make personal assessments of our attitudes and our actions toward needy humanity and do something about it. We cannot be neutral or negligent. Now imagine with me, we're at that scene again, but this time Jesus is standing there with us. And we turn to Jesus and ask, what is it you would have me do for this person? His answer would be very simple. He would look at us and say, I want you to be a neighbor. This is the very story that Jesus told a man 2,000 years ago. A man comes up to Jesus and asks Jesus a question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds by putting the question back on him saying, you know the law, what do you think? So let's refresh that passage in our minds before we continue on in the parable. In verse 25, one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, he says, how do you do, how do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. I can almost picture the man turning to walk away and then another question pops into his mind and turning back to Jesus he asked, and who's my neighbor? This question of who is my neighbor seems like a fair question at face value if we're talking about something as important as being right with God and eternal life? The question, I believe, was asked because he, the expert in the law, wanted to know clearly what was expected of him. And for us today, we would like to know the same. I believe the reason Jesus responds with a story is that underneath the man's question Jesus hears a struggle with a human heart that we all share. The man asking the question, who is my neighbor, assumes there are those I'm expected to love and those I am not. You see, the natural bent of our human heart is to erect these boundaries around those who we believe God wants us to love and draw these very, really small circles around who we are supposed to love. This means there are people outside of these parameters. Surely, God doesn't expect me to love everyone. So this man, or should I say, we asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Jesus responds by telling a story that doesn't answer the question of who's my neighbor but a story that describes what it looks like to be a neighbor. We see here what is at stake that the people of God are to be marked by a distinct love for God and a distinct love for others. Not a kind of love that only loves those who are easy to love but a kind of love that mirrors God's heart and not the ways of this world. So in this story, we see Jesus doing what we see Jesus doing is confronting the boundaries that we all draw around who we believe we're supposed to love. And either tearing those boundaries down or broadening them out, and he does so by making two points in this story. Neighborly love is likeness over differences. Jesus gives details in this story that would have been shocking to the original audience that wouldn't necessarily jump off the pages to us. The man is stripped of his clothes and beaten unconscious and left for dead. Why is this significant? Much like ours, the culture of that time was a melting pot of different ethnicities, cultures, religious, political, theological beliefs. So let's return to the historical context of this parable and get a picture in our mind of the travelers here. Jesus describes a normal trip a person would take going through the mountain pass that fell some 3,300 feet along an 18-mile route from Jerusalem to Jericho. The road widened through many narrow passes, winded through many narrow passes, and by many large rocks, providing bandits many opportunities to prey on travelers. Here, a gang of robbers stripped him and beat him. Robbers in the Middle East were known to beat their victims only if they resisted. So it can be assumed that this fellow tried to keep what was rightfully his, and consequently suffered a severe beating. The robbed Jew was also left naked and unconscious on the main business route from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And in our story in verses 31 and 32, a priest and a Levite happened to be going down the same road when they saw this man. They both passed by on the other side of the road. Now, the way you can tell where someone stood and where they fit into society was by what they wore, by what they said, and by what they looked like. Let's look a little deeper at the background of the priest and the Levite before we move on. It will help us to catch an essence of the time period and the characteristics of these individuals. A priest of that day would have been a descendant of Aaron and the highest official in the Jewish religion. The priests were to officiate at the temple sacrifices and offered to prescribe sacrifices according to the law. The Israelites were not allowed to offer sacrifices themselves in places of their own choices. In the Jewish culture, the priest was a very important person and a symbol of hope. Yet he passed by on the other side deliberately, putting a safe distance between himself and the dying man. Maybe he feared ceremonial uncleanliness or was afraid that the bandits were still around. The Bible doesn't say, but keep in mind as well that under the rabbinical law, the priest was required to bury any corpse he would have found along his journeys he was taking. The Levites were descendants of the tribe of Levi. They performed subordinate services associated with public worship. In this capacity, the Levites were musicians, gatekeepers, guardians, temple officials, judges, and craftsmen. They were a religious assistant or a priest helper. What is significant about the priest and the Levite according to this story is, both men have all the right labels in their society. They are from the right families and the right faith and they believe the right things. When they come upon this man, they don't know him And what they can't discern about this man is where does he fit into society. They can't tell because he doesn't have any of his clothes, so they don't know his background. What does he believe? He can't speak. They look for the labels that they may have in common, but they can't find any. And the only thing they have in common is that they are human, but, that isn't enough for these men. Then to make the point of the story more challenging, Jesus inserts the hero of the story, a Samaritan. It's hard to explain the hatred between Jews and the Samaritans. It is rooted in years of prejudice and years of violence. It's inflamed by these religious and political disagreements. Samaritans were considered half-breeds by most Jews and not ethnically or religiously pure. Many of the Samaritans had heredity from the northern tribe of Israel after the captivity from Assyria. So for the Samaritan to be a help, helping a Jew in any circumstance would have been out of the question. A matter of fact, Jews walked the long way around Samaria to order, in order to avoid even going near the land or the people. So let's stop in the story right now and ask ourselves the question Jesus points us to. Who is my neighbor? Let's take a moment and think of that someone who is very unlike you perhaps socially, politically, religiously, ethnically. And imagine Jesus not only saying to love that person, but he uses that person as the model of what love looks like. We can't miss this in the story. Not only do we have two men, the Levite and the priest, who have all the right religious, cultural, and ethnic labels, they walk right by a man who has no discernible religious, cultural, or ethical background labels, who make a split decision not to interact, who is then helped and loved by a man who their, in their minds had all the wrong religious, cultural, and ethic labels. Think about it. The only thing they had in common was that they were human, and that's enough. They were all made in the image and likeness of God. Far too often, we interact with people by the way we see them as different than us. And then we subtract from their humanity based on those differences. They're a different color. Subtract. They have different sin struggles. Subtract. They have different background and a story. Subtract. They are a liberal, a conservative. Subtract. I work hard for a living, they don't. Subtract. I'm a Christian and they are not. Subtract. So, what we do here is we strip away all the ways they are different than us then we feel justified with with, with withholding love and freely extending judgment. There's nothing distinct about that and nothing distinct of the love of God in that, is there? And even after all that subtracting, you and I may not see our image in that person but God still sees his. Both the priest and the Levite had opportunities to serve. Yet given the chance to put their faith into action, they failed. They had their reasons. Refusing to love always does. To be a neighbor, to love the way the followers of God have been called to love is to see in others, not the differences, but to see and honor that we are all made in God's image. Then Jesus makes this point, that loving like a neighbor is loving others over self. As the parable continues, Jesus uses many descriptive verses to describe the many actions that the Samaritan goes through to help this man. The man binds his wounds, which means he took clothing off his own body to manage and bandage this man's wounds. It says he doctored the wounds, meaning he got into the mess. If you have a medical background or you're an EMT, you you may better understand what that looks like. However, remember, This traveler wasn't in an ambulance or in an ER. He could only use what he had with him, his own belongings. It cost him something. He loads him up on his own animal, which means the Samaritan walked to the next town. The man he didn't even know was now put upon his donkey. Remember, the entire trip was 18 miles long. We don't know where on the trip this assault took place. but So even if it was at the halfway point, this means that the man is now walking nine miles with a severely injured man on his backpack animal. It cost him something. He pays for the man to stay at the inn. He pays for his care, and then he leaves money to make sure he's cared for until he returns. He's planning to return to check on the man. He's not going to go in another direction to avoid the situation. The parable even tells how much money he leaves. It was a month's worth of care. Many may say that's excessive, over the top kind of love and care. And he now had to plan for this man in his journey, his journey expenses, which he hadn't planned for initially. It cost him something. The point Jesus is making here is that the Samaritan is looking at the man with compassion. This kind of love says, I see someone else's problems and I make them my own. That's what others over self means. The most important thing in your life and my life in any given day is not our agendas or our plans, but the people in our lives. And to look at them in their need and to love them above ourselves and to see where we can make their problems and make them our own. This doesn't mean we enable the person or solve all their problems for them, but that we make an effort to make a priority of the people needing our intervention. You see, most people feel compassion for selected individuals. Some, in the spirit of Christ, are touched by the needs of others whenever they encounter them. Some actually feel the pain of other people and try to relieve it. So what does compassion cost? It takes a toll on one's emotions. It drains one's energies because it forces one to act to help the sufferer. It takes time. It costs making yourself vulnerable to the distresses of another. Obviously, such actions will not be easy. But if it was easy, everyone would demonstrate compassion. We must pray for the spiritual strength necessary for giving help to the distressed people around us. We are so conditioned to believe in our fast paced, hurry up filled world that we can't afford to. We can't afford to take time for people. We can't afford to use our resources on other people. But what is Jesus saying is that others can't afford if we don't. Compassion is always active. Dr. Martin Luther King, in one of his last sermons before he was killed, spoke on the Good Samaritan. He said, the priest and the Levite walked by and they asked this question, if I help the man, what will happen to me? But the Samaritan comes by and reverses the question and asks, if I don't help this man, what will happen to him? others over self, your problems become my problems. We must enter into the mess of other people's lives in love and make it our own. The right thing to do is to look at these interruptions as divine interruptions. We should take them as opportunities that God is sending us to serve those in need to listen to them, to see the real need, to show love, and to help them on their journey toward intimacy with God. This is a high standard for loving well, is it not? Some may say this is such a costly ex- expectation of how we are to love. The question is, we may be wondering is, how can I live and love like that. We can because we have been loved like that by Jesus. You see, Christian brother and sister, Jesus is a neighbor to you. Philippians 2, 5, and 8 says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." You see, Jesus became a neighbor to you. You see, death for sin was not his problem, it's our problem. But he made it his problem. And he expresses and shows this distinct love to us so that me, we might go then and express the same love to others. We may never in our lifetime stumble across a scene, a scene like Jesus tells in this story. But today and every day, we will be around people, and we will encounter them in their mess, encounter them in their struggles, encounter them in their sin, at your job, in your neighborhood, in your church. Maybe you're married to them. Maybe you parent them. And if we are looking at them and looking to Jesus and asking the question, what Would you have me do? The answer will always be the same be a neighbor. Love in that, love in a way that is distinct. Don't look for the differences, look for the likenesses. Honor and look for ways to enter into the struggles in other people's lives. You see, the parable of the Good Samaritan confronts us with three philosophies of life. The outlook of the thieves was, what is yours is mine and I'll take it. And the outlook of the priest and the Levite was, what is mine is mine and I'll keep it. And then there's the outlook of the good Samaritan. What's mine is God's and I'll share it. See, in briefer words, These outlooks could look like this. One, beat them up. Two, pass them up. Three, pick them up. What is your philosophy of life? Probably no one here would live according to the first principle. We would not grab what belongs rightfully to somebody else. But do we in any way practice The second principle, pass them up. Are we unconcerned about the needs of others? Do we hold on to what we have and fail to share it? The challenge to be compassionate is ours. Jesus loves us this way. He has been a neighbor to you. He is a neighbor, and he will always be a neighbor. And out of that love, and as Jesus ended this story in verse 37, go and do likewise. But the true Christian has the law of love written in his heart. The Spirit of Christ dwells in him, Christ's image is renewed in his soul. The parable is a beautiful explanation of the law of loving our neighbor. As ourselves, without regard to nation, party, or any other distinction. It also sets forth the kindness and love of God our Savior towards sinful, miserable men. We were like this poor, distressed traveler. You see, Satan, our enemy, has robbed us and wounded us, but Jesus had compassion on us. The believer considers that Jesus loved him and gave his life for him when we were an enemy and a rebel. And having shown him mercy, he bids him go and do likewise. Do you all know what a machinist is? A machinist are tradespeople who train, or train professionals who operate machine tools to shape metal or other materials into other items. They may repair parts or existing machinery or create new parts entirely. Machinists create a variety of products ranging from small small items such as titanium bone screws to steel steel bolts to larger items such as automobile pistons or hydraulic parts. And some machinists will make the same items multiple times but precision machinists will produce one-of-a-kind items or saw small, small batches of items. In 2010, I experienced my neurosurgeon being a machinist. He reconstructed a tool he was using in mid-surgery in order to finish my surgery, which saved my life and kept me from being a paraplegic, quadriplegic. Machinists have a distinct set of rules for machining their products. In one machine machine shop, a lathe was turning out camshafts, camshafts. The finished machining had to be exactly correct. One of the notes on the lathe read like this. Remember that the warmth of the hand will change the diameter of the shaft. The machinist working at that lathe carves out a large engine shaft, which must be perfectly measured for an airplane engine, and is reminded that the warmth of his hand will change the diameter of the shaft. If the warmth of your hand changes the diameter of cold metal, think how it will change a heart, perhaps a heart that is discouraged, sorrowful, or lost. It is the duty of us all in our places and according to our ability to secure help and relieve all that are in distress and necessity. Ask God to help change your heart so that you're connecting authentically and without reservation. We think loving our neighbor is about us or even about our neighbors, but really it's about God. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another, John 13, 34. The most effective way to witness to someone is to live it, not preach it. God changes lives the most powerful way to tell that story. It is so that so, so to let other people see how he has changed you into someone more like him. You can come up, worship team. We can only be a true neighbor because our hearts have been changed. Jesus has shown himself to be more than a neighbor. He's a friend. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. What distinguishes Jesus' words from this ideal was not their content, but the fact that Jesus did not merely talk about laying down his life for his friends. Jesus enacted the ancient ideal of friendship by laying down his life for his friends. Jesus' whole life is an incarnation of the ideal of friendship. What Jesus teaches, he is already living. The pattern of Jesus' own life and death moves the teaching of John 15, 13 from a philosophical idea to an embodied promise and gift. A quick review of Jesus' entire life and death is an act of friendship. Yet for Jesus, his own act of life-giving friendship is not the end of the story. Jesus does not merely talk the language of friendship. He lives out his life and death as a friend, and he commands that his followers do the same. The commandment to love as Jesus has loved may be the most radical words of the gospel because it claims that the love that enabled Jesus to lay down his life for his friends is not unique to him. This love can and must be replicated and embodied over and over again in his followers. To keep Jesus' commandment is to enact his love in our own lives. Jesus affirms the significance of this commandment by stating that his followers become his friends to the extent that they keep his commandments. Jesus gave everything to be our friend. Jesus is our model for friendship because he loves without limits and makes it possible for us to live a life of friendship because we have been transformed by everything he shared with us. Through friendship we come to know God and through friendship we enact the love of God. We can risk being friends because Jesus has been a friend to us. Please stand as I pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, love one another is such a simple command, yet we make it complicated. Lord, please release us from the bias and judgments and insecurities that keep us from obeying you. Open our hearts so that we may love our neighbors freely and without reservation. Equip us, O God, guide us, Lord, and shine through us as we show others the love you already gave us. Lord, help us to remember, nobody is busier than Jesus, yet he responds to every need. Go and do likewise. Amen.